We're flying now, everyone. Good job. Please put your tray tables in the upright and locked position. Welcome to These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain, Captain Chase McKinney, and joining me for a very bumpy ride on the, uh, whatever this is, my good friends, Lieutenant Commander Eric and Lieutenant Commander David. How are you gents doing? Dang it, Eric! Well today, it <laughs> wasn't near oh, as long as trying to go for the long, week. long. Dang. Yeah, okay, right, right. You, you <laughs> had to tell me that we're trying to do these things ahead of time. I'm not very perceptive. Well, Eric, one day gotta... we'll have to have Chase in that particular bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you got to pay attention to the Google Doc, right? So you get your cues right. I'm just saying, man. What Google Doc? Oh, I wasn't supposed to tell him, was it, David? Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, you guys are keeping <laughs> secrets from me. I see how it is. This is awkward. I thought I was as the first officer. I'm supposed to know everything that goes on. You would think so, right? <laughs> well, as the tactical officer, sometimes I have to, you know, keep things, you know, out of the line of sight of the first officer. Yeah, for their own protection, basically. Right. You got to think you got to keep things on your back instead of holstered, you know what I'm saying? As the tactical officer. I just see. I see how it is. I mean, it's it's fine. It's fine. This is not a conspiracy. Wink, wink. That's that's a very creepy wink, Eric. I know. I really can't wink. It's like you're trying to do like one of those like Agatha Harkness winks that she does in WandaVision. <laughs> I've never it, seen the show. I just saw the meme. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, between that and uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think I really like those. I haven't watched Hawkeye yet. I think Hawkeye just came out uh, actually Thanksgiving, if I'm not mistaken, What's on the on the Mouse Plus land. Mm-hmm. By the way, Dave, are you still getting your? You didn't di- mention Loki. Yeah, I haven't watched Loki, but I like I've said before, I have like zero interest in Loki anything. I tolerate Loki. Shots fired, I know. I know. But I'm just wondering if David is still collecting his uh his Disney checks from the mouse and everything. Um, well, I mean there might be NDAs for that, so I probably shouldn't mm. say. Mmm. That I'm makes sense. Paid handsomely by the mouse. Mm. To yeah. shill for You getting paid in Mickey bars as a shill? <laughs> Dole Whip and churros? <laughs> oh, yeah, buddy. There we go. Well, how have y'all's weeks been, man? Mans? Men's? Good. Been, been pretty good. You know, yeah. pretty average week. Nothing, nothing to talk about from my side. Pretty average, huh? Hmm. Yeah, I've been off all week. <clears throat> Just been trying to complete projects around the house and so forth. So uh, I have lost track of time. All time and space has ceased to mean anything mm-hmm. until about Sunday when I realized that I must then worry about space and time again and go back to work. Uh, yes. Yeah, no, it hasn't been too bad. I've, I've been fairly busy, though, throughout the week. So just getting things I done. I can dig it. I can dig it. I can dig it. We uh, <clears throat> we've been kind of 
I don't know. I mean, like it's been kind of average in these parts too. Um, I think I was telling y'all that, um, you know, with uh, with me like being busy with uh, like tech stuff, um, getting ready for like a Christmas concert, uh, which has already happened by the time y'all are listening to this, but just doing like late nights up at um, away from the house, like with cameras and learning cues and stuff like that. But um, yeah, and then like having to do like a, little, a quick little car repair of stuff. Um, nothing like David being a macho man and uh, and stuff. I just went ahead and sent it to the garage to get fixed because I'm smart like that. <laughs> Who needs the hassle of trying to fix it yourself? I know I don't. Or I have nothing to what prove. what you're missing is the satisfaction of completing Are something. Things like that don't give me satisfaction. <laughs> You know what what, sat, what satisfaction I get from like car stuff is actually getting my car registered annually, like getting my, my tag and and you know passing inspection and stuff like that here in Texas. So huh, passing it, inspection, you poor poor. I know, good old emissions and everything. You don't have to do that every year, do you? Yeah, you have to get your car inspected every year. <sighs> wow. Really? Yeah. In, 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 o, in Ohio, you only have to start doing that if your car is more than 25 years old, and then I think it's every two or three years. Hmm. Yeah, that's Texas for you. Yeah, you gotta... Did, well, I'll have to get on that. Yeah, if you want to get your registration, um, at least in Texas, the way it works is you go to an inspection-approved um, garage or whatever, and they do all the things, and they give you a piece of paper, and then you can either take that straight to your court, local courthouse to get your, um, you know, your registration sticker or whatever, or you can just wait like two or three days when it's updated in the system, and then mail everything or whatever, and get your tag in the mail. But that's how they do it. They used to, I think it ended about, oh five or six years ago, I want to say it was around 2015 or 16, that they used to have two separate stickers. So, like, you went and got your inspection, and then, like, boom, here's your inspection sticker. You put it in your windshield, uh, windshield just like you do with your registration sticker. But they're like, why would we do that? Let's just make them all, like, together. Just prove that you can pass registration. We're just going to give you one sticker, and that's so, it. So you can't do, like, multi-year? Nope. <laughs> Unless, like, I mean... Maybe, like, if you're, like, a dealership. I know, like, dealerships can, like, get away with, like, like a two or a three, but that's about it. Yeah, God and if, bless and Texas, if you can guys. if you can do multi-year. bigger in Texas, including the uh, <clears throat> inspections. Gotcha. That's right. I mean, like, if you, can, if, if you are able to do, like, multi-year whatevers, I want to know about it so I don't have to do this crap every doggone year, man. I mean, if I just pay, like, a little bit extra for, like, a multi-year, I think I can live with that. In Missouri, you could do you could do a two-year registration so long as you proved you had paid your past two years in property tax that you have to pay on your car every year. Mm. Right? I don't know if you have you, to do that in Texas or Ohio. Nope. You have to nope. pay you have property to pay. tax on your car? Yeah, in the state of Missouri. What? Yes. I'm yes. not moving to Missouri. <laughs> where, where are we? Are we in Europe? <laughs> I'm just saying you had what to. What is this? Wow. And if you could prove that you had paid your last two years in property taxes, you could get a two-year registration. It wasn't any cheaper. It was just, you know, double the, the one-year payment. I guess it was 
so you didn't have to worry about the hassle. Well, let me I tell you what approve. I do, boys. And, and I'll, 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 tell, get... I'll, tell you, I'll tell you even more something about this property taxes you have to pay in your car in Missouri. If in, like, November, they send you a bill for your property tax for that year, and it's due by the end of December. But you can pay it after that, but every month you pay it after that, it goes up and it gets more expensive. <laughs> That's... Ohio doesn't care about any of this stuff. <laughs> we don't care at all. I, I mean, I, what I can do, I can just go online and register my car for up to three years at a time, and then you just pay for it, and that's it, and nobody cares. Nobody cares about anything here. They just say, do it and pay us, and that's it, and it's fantastic. As long as they get, as long as they get their money, they don't exactly, care. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> wow, that's fun. That's fun stuff. So speaking of random like taxes and um, assessments and stuff not related to cars, um, I don't. I don't think I've told either. I might have told Eric this. I don't remember, but it was my my first. Um, I guess like I'd been been back in Texas for like a few months. You know, whenever it was time for like taxes and stuff for the for the year, and I get this. I get this bill. <laughs> I get this bill from um, what was it? Um, Genesee County, like the city of Flint or something like that. And they're saying the city of Flint or Genesee County, whatever it was, they have assessed me. I have a tax bill of 25 cents. 25 <laughs> cents. All right. Uh, what? <laughs> so it costs them more in postage <laughs> than it does to actually collect. So my dad, my dad's still living there. I'm like, Dad, can you spare a quarter? Like, can you literally go down to the Genesee County Courthouse or, or tax assessor or whatever? Can you just give them a quarter for me, please? No, <laughs> why, no, son, I cannot lend you a quarter. <laughs> the most ridiculous thing I'll give ever. You, I, I, I won't. I will lend it to you. I'll give you a good interest rate. You pay me back. <laughs> <laughs> Classic, <laughs> oh, 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 oh man. Oh. So anyway, yes, Eric, you have to get your car inspected annually now that you live in the Lone Star State. But if I just bought it from a dealership, I don't have to go get it inspected, right? That comes with the purchase. Right. But also check what your registration is. So like, if it's like 2023 on it, then you don't have to worry about it until. Well, they didn't give me the registration yet. They said they'll call me in like two weeks with the license plates. I'm assuming well, whatever your sticker is, registration. whatever your sticker is, whenever you get it, that's when you have to worry about it. Okay. All right. I'll look Don't worry. I'll help you. Okay. I'll help you out. All right. I'll help you navigate the ways of the Lone Star State. You got to drive friendly, the Texas way. That's what those signs say, at least. All right. Well. Well, good job, everyone. Do we want to? I know it's early, but do we want to? We want to actually talk Trek now? Or do we have yeah, other stuff we need to process? Let's choose to live. Let's choose to live. All right, everyone. This is your point of no return. So make sure that if you haven't watched it, go ahead and give it a watch and come back and listen. Otherwise, here we go. This is your red alert. Red alert right now. Uh, we are about to 
take a deep dive into spoiler ter- territory of Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 3, Choose to Live. All right, gang. So I know we we all watched this at least once. At least I hope we did. Otherwise, this is going to be very awkward if, if you haven't watched it at least once, by the way. Um, it would have been awkward for David there for a second. So thank you, David. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Chase, for watching it. Appreciate it, guys. Um, so <laughs> that's how this works, right? I mean, you got to watch it to be able to discuss it. I mean, it's 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 simple logic. Uh, all right, let's get this. Let's get cracking. So, I feel like we have like potentially three and a half, maybe four storylines in this. Like, I think there's definitely an A and a B. There's a C and possibly a D storyline in here. There's a there's lot going on. There's definitely an A, B, and C. I think I know what you mean by the potential D plot. Yeah. Yeah, so there, there's quite a bit going on. Quite a bit. I mean, we have... There's a lot of Star Trek stuffed into here, right? Yeah. How much Star Trek can we shove into Star Trek? There's, right. It's yeah. a lot. Right. I mean, it's, it's like it's begging to be its own little mini episode, mini series. It's like, can, can we please extend this to an hour and a half? No, it must be under an hour. Well, no. fine. Well, I mean, it's like 56 minutes, isn't it? <laughs> Ish. Something like that. It's yeah. something like that. It's, a, it's yeah, yeah. longer than your typical, you know, 90s Trek episode. Dude, mm-hmm. and, and I, I'm not, I'm not gonna jump ahead, ahead, but my goodness, do we have to bow wrap every one of these stories at the very end of this episode too, back to back to back? When will it end? I don't know. After we put a bow on it, goodness. Mm. Yeah, it, it it did seem like they felt they had to, like they wanted this to be a self-contained episode within the larger thing. And so they're like, all right, tie everything up. That's right. That's right. So this episode, um, we start out having this, this shot of the, uh, what was it? The USS Credence, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the NCC 2804. Um, so one, uh, we'll, we'll we'll jump into the actual scene in a second. I just think it's kind of interesting. I think maybe it's worth pointing out that you know, of course, we're 900 years removed from essentially the Kirk era, and I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, the USS Reliant was a 2800 something uh, back in the day. So by this point, I mean like a registry number would be the length of the entire alphabet or more. Well, they, they'll just keep adding like. You know, we ever got the Voyager J or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So and Voyager was already seven four six five six, right? So like s- almost seventy five thousand, right? So like the point is like these things are gonna like pretend like if if the new if the numbering system would have like stayed the same, like it would have been like the length of like a freaking foreign telephone number for crying out loud. So I'm led to believe that you know maybe the powers that be are like look. We got to reset the clock. We got we got to start over. Like well, some, just... so, so, some record keeper, some clerk somewhere was like, "So this burn happened. It'd be a shame if I just shredded some registry numbers and started over again." <laughs> <laughs> well, NC one. <you know>, <laughs> 
And then, we, you know, we have to create memorials to all the ships that were destroyed in the burn, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But do you think do you think that there's like an NCC-1701 out there and it's not the Enterprise? It's like the Pilgrim? Oh, yeah. We took this registry off of some ship. Um, uh, Inter- Enterprise or something? Uh, it's captained no, by... No, uh, no. By a, it was a, name. By no, a it wasn't Kirk? Enterprise. I, I, I've never heard of this Kirk guy, but yeah, he was he was somebody. Uh, some, and also like a Picard, too, like yeah. another time. It's like the USS Avis, Hertz, <laughs> Alamo. I can't remember. <laughs> the USS Alamo, where we, we were remembering the Alamo. How much Texas do you need to stuff into this episode? Well, 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 hold on there, Belgrum. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so so i'm gonna okay so just remember this somewhere in listener land that i'm, I'm actually giving you know kurtzman and company some credit for potentially thinking forward enough to reset the clock so to speak with registry numbers otherwise we would have freaking like i said alphabet long registry numbers on these ships like it'd be wrapping from you know the, the bow all the way back to the the freaking stern like with a freaking registry number so anyways I kind I kind of like that so we jump in and we have um, um, the captain I think it was the captain of the credence who's the like kind of first officer yeah. first officer okay who's like kind of command, commander fickle fickle I thought that's what fickle? his name was right fickle, fickle? just funny fickle I just know he right? was the strongest man alive hmm his combat sent people flying. <laughs> He's got superpowers, man. Welcome to Star Trek. No, so, like, just down there, like, getting ready to, to do a little transfer of some dilithium, and then, shazam! We have some random Kawatmalot warrior nuns just popping in, ready to bust a cap. And, like, of course, we get the whole choose to live. No, I'm going to pull my phaser. But first, I'm going to punch you because that's the Star Trek way. That's the Starfleet way. Whew. I would have yeah. liked to have seen a nice axe handle smash, you know, a little or a double. palm heel. Yeah. I want, a, I want a palm heel. How much Star Trek can we put in here? Not enough. You know, listen, when, when I saw this title, Choose to Live, like a month ago or whenever they announced the first four episodes titles, I was like, ah, we're bringing back the co-op Malat again. Like, because, you know, David, you weren't there, but Chase and I talked about this back in Picard almost two years ago at the time of this recording. Um, mm. I was very, like, what the heck is this Kawatmalat? Like, Romulan warrior ninja nuns? Like, what, what do we need Romulan warrior ninja nuns for? And it's like, and they totally reminded me of, like, the Benny Gesserit from Dune. That's topical mm. right now, right? Mm. They practice, like the way of absolute candor and it's like the we- a weirding way and now we've got sword fights kind of like dune has its sword fights here damn if i don't hate the co-op malak <laughs> right just it's so it's such a dumb <laughs> idea it's so antithetical to everything romulan as well right like the way of absolute candor where you just say exactly what you're thinking that's not the romulan way at all it's just i like and then when they brought it back last year in Chase's least favorite episode of all time, right? Which we shall not speak of. Yeah. And now they're bringing it back here. I'm just like, 
when I saw this episode title like a month ago, I was like, I'm already going to be over this idea here. I knew they were bringing back the co-op a lot. And it's just like, choose to live, my friends. Choose to live. Which is actually the end of a much longer phrase. Which I can't Are, were, even remember. <laughs> were, were you hoping that and thinking that Elnor was going to somehow show up in this? Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're making synthetic bodies of people. Let's bring back Elnor, right? Space no, let's Legolas. Not, let's, let's, not, no, let's not bring back. He's more like Space Elrond, right? I mean, they're both elves. Remember, remember I made that... that, that I remember this. Elrond, Elnor, yeah, I know. Well, Elrond, Elnor, but like... You could imagine Evan Evagora, the actor, being cast as like a young... Um, Hugo Weaving. Elrond? Like, yeah, Hugo, Hugo Weaving, Weaving, right? Who played Elrond. I could imagine, like, that being the case. Like, Evan Evagor being cast as a young Hugo Weaving because they kind of have hmm. similar features. So that's why I was like, not Legolas. Let's call him Space Elrond. Well, let's, I mean, I mean, look, Matrix Resurrections comes out um, here in just a little bit. Is I mean, Hugo who knows? He, I have no idea. But maybe Evan Evagora is is like a younger <laughs> Agent Smith. I'm just saying, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, do computer programs age? If there's a virus, they do. Yeah. Okay. Choose to live, my friends. Choose to live. Yeah. So the 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 dilithium thing, like the canisters, the whatever the just the package of it is just like sitting right there they have their own personal transporters right like so they drop the shield so they can do like transport the thing so this is where i'm kind of like having a problem like we're we're punching people we're doing stabby mcstaverson stuff for the heck of it when the quant malat folks could have just like literally just like went and touched it like you know, safe, I'm at base, and then boom, get up, get the heck out of there. But no. No, 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 no. No, we have to we have to have a fight. We have to do stabby McStaverson stuff. We have to have a questionable like phaser grab. Like, really? Like there are no transporter pads, there's no like transporter stuff except for like your own personal transporter. You could have just like stood next to it and got the heck out of there without any bloodshed. I'm just saying. This isn't this is an action show. This is an action show. Eric, they this have is what happens when I think, bud. Action scenes, right? But you know what bugs me more about this scene is not what you're talking about. Yes, that bugs me. What bugs me is after this whole, you know, dilithium theft, we get this briefing with Admiral Vance and he's like this is the fourth stolen shipment we've had, and every heist has been exactly identical to this one before. If you had three dilithium heists before, don't you think you should beef up security? Do something other than just like, hey, let's just drop our shields and anybody can beam onto our ship, and it's just dilithium's just sitting out in the open. Well, like, they had a, they after had a the couple first of people. Three heists, in the room. Don't you think? Like, there's got to be some way you can beef up security after three heists. That were all identical, and now this is the fourth identical heist. Come on! I mean, Eric, that's that's me what really bugs feel. me. Tell us how you really feel, Eric. Come on. <laughs> but Eric, 
Eric. Eric. I would be remiss if I if I neglected to point out something amazing about this episode. There's a table involved, bud. They are. They are sitting at a table. <laughs> They're well, sitting person, at a table. One person's sitting. I think some other people are standing. But, but people they're are talking. talking. They're talking around it. Yeah. That's right. We have some <laughs> kind of circular conversation that's taken place. Criteria met for Eric. Here we go. Yeah, let's well, one check of them. that. We're just gonna check that box. <laughs> oh man. So yes, of course we have to um, investigate, and this is like some kind of internal matter, and we have to do this the Kuat Malat way to get our own people involved and this is the part okay I don't know how else to talk about it other than just to just jump into like how the Coatmalot thing just kind of plays out so let's just camp out on the Coatmalot thing for a little while all this stuff just seems so um, I don't know circumstantial in terms of like how it's taking place in a, in a to a certain extent and Eric you mentioned it I was going to mention it um, but like this whole absolute candor thing like this is how they you know live their life so to speak as part of like this you know coven or whatever of ninja nuns like you straight up say what's up as a member of the Kwatmalat there's no conditional kind of like footnote to what's taken place as a member of the Quat Malat. You just, absolute candor, absolute truth, blunt, say the thing, say what you need to say, as a great prophet would say from our younger years. Um, <laughs> and like, <laughs> anyway, so Gabrielle Burnham, you know, she's showing up, you know, you know Mikey Burnham's mama shows up and it's just like sprinkling in these like, oh, I'll tell you later. Ooh, I'll tell you later. Ooh, hold on. Ooh, wait a second. Ooh, 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 no, 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 I didn't say this. Ooh, I didn't say that. Like, she's dancing around this crap the whole time. And, like, even with Giovanni, who's like our rogue nun, like, all the problems that she's facing could have just been solved by, like, just doing a little bit of research of something. Like, it's, everything is just so darn conditional with her in this whole situation, like, you can't say that you, you're you're all about absolute candor if you're only telling half truths. Like that's where I'm having issues with with this storyline. Well, but well, Chase, you're 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 forgetting one very important thing that has been pervasive through anything ideological. It doesn't matter if it's Star Trek or other franchises, and that is the ideology does not matter when you have a plot to run. I mean, it, 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 it's it's the same thing with Vulcan um, theology, the logic, with Vulcan logic. They are not fully logical. They are not rid of emotions. They have emotions. They're just hidden. Um, but this this is how it always goes. The Quatmalat is is no different. It's just it's just something that people thought would have been cool, but they. There's never been absolute candor about anything because that's not how things work. But again, that's 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 with theology in the real world too, where you where we talk about practice what we preach, but how rare is that? So 
Yeah, I, I guess my biggest problem with this whole plot, I don't know if we want to jump to the end of this plot line and how it gets resolved, but, like, and what it's all about. I don't know if you want to get there yet, but, like, I feel like this whole plot line could have been resolved by, like, just coming to the Federation and telling them what's up. Because in this point of the Federation, our president, Lara Rillick, is like, hey, we got to work together. We got to show our goodwill. We got to do whatever we can in this post-burn era to rebuild. And this feels like exactly the type of thing that the Federation would be looking to do is to help some civilization that needs help in this moment in time, especially with this new threat of the DMA coming in, right? This just feels like something that would be so simple to solve by being absolutely candid. But Eric, may I also butt in and introduce a theory about plots? <laughs> yes, I know, I know. No, I, but, but so far, that's what we've seen. We, we've seen the, the moth people or the butterfly people who are um, distru- distrustful and, and, and even with, with Vulcan, when we first uh, encountered Vulcan in the prior season, I mean, it, it, it's just the progressive thing right now where nobody trusts anybody and, and we have to lead to that building of relationship moment where now it appears that Navarre is potentially going to come back into the fold due to the efforts of, well, really, I mean, you could look back at Saru, his efforts, and, and now this sort of joint mission and, and effectively the, the political wrangling that happened at the very end of the episode, which, again, we can talk about later. But, like, that, that, it, that's sort of the name of the game, I guess. But, I mean, I, I totally agree with both of your points on, on these 110%. I mean, in the real world, and usually I'm a very logical guy and I rile against this crap all over the place as well, but... But yeah, I mean, it, it, that seems to be what we're wrangling towards is fixing mistrust through deeds, which is actually a, a good message because a lot of times we get lost in that where, oh yeah, I've changed. Well, show me. You know what I mean? It, it, so right. they are actually, uh, that's one of the things that I do kind of like is that we are getting opportunities to show that the Federation is has changed and is doing better, which I think is really cool. Um, but then also, again, it, it's it's all just a plot driver, really. I know, but like, like I don't, I'm, I'm, I think you could make a really good Star Trek episode out of this basic storyline, but this just wasn't it. Spoiler alert for my review at the end. <laughs> Ooh. Well, I mean, th- th- this episode could have legitimately have been three episodes of any oh, normal 100%. of any normal oh, oh, trek episode. There, there's at least two good star trek episodes yeah. out of this at least <laughs> yeah well i mean what you have is you have a reg barkley episode you have uh an esri dax episode and then you have any general help somebody episode of any iteration so yeah yes. you're 100 percent correct yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, and anyway, I don't know this this this, this storyline, like specifically with the Quat Malat. I don't know if y'all um, share the sentiment with me or not, but this storyline 
of the three or four that we had um, in this episode was both very fast and also unbelievably slow also, I think, with the Quat Malat stuff. Are you saying that was the slow one? I mean, they were all slow. <laughs> the whole, oh, okay. Like, oh, okay. So every story was slow, but putting them all together made it fast. Kind of. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, it was just... So here's here's another tease for you. Just this this was like... This episode in general was just really slow for me. Like... Okay. Just... I, I, I struggled. I'm not going to lie. I struggled watching this episode. Um, to... This isn't really the greatest comparison, but um, and I, I know I bring up Doctor Who quite a bit um, on whenever we have these discussions. But like Doctor Who is like one of those kind of things where it's like really good pace and it like really draws you in, type of thing. And I'm not speaking for all of the Whovians or the Hooligans, whatever you moniker you adopt. But when I got to, I think it was like season. What was that? 12 11 or 12 I think of of Doctor Who it was the first basically the the first season of of the Jodie Whittaker era um I just I found myself like walking away like doing laundry folding my socks just because like it was just like pulling me out of it and I just wasn't that interested and I would like glance up every now and again I wouldn't really worry about rushing back uh from like the commercial break or anything like that from BBC America and that's kind of how it was with this storyline for me, uh, with well, not this storyline, but the story. So, I'm kind of probably spoiling some things right now, but that's okay. Yeah, no, like <clears throat> I want to track this. If you don't mind, I want to track yeah, this whole a this whole a story. I would call this the a storyline. Yeah, yeah, the, the Quatmot stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think like so we have that we have this meeting and we're going on a mission to track her down, but we have to do it the Quatmot way. But then. President Rilla comes over and says, make no mistake, you're in charge here, Burnham. Like, we've got a, this is a delicate political situation. You're in charge. And then Burnham's like, I need backup. My mom's going and she's bringing backup. I'm going. I got to bring backup. So in, in order to track that storyline, I think we have to get to, like, I think what you talked about is, like, probably the D plot. The whole Tilly thing. I think that's the D plot here. Yes. And like, man, Tilly is taking a step back from me. I know David says he kind of likes her now, but like, this feels oh, well, like. Hold on, hold on, hold this, on a second. When did I ever say that? Don't put words. I in thought that. you said like, like you're liking her more now than you did before. No. Well, no, I, I. Or no, you said you of, like her I, I like, on, but you don't like her now. I, I like the fact that they are attempting to develop her character through therapeutic means. Okay, okay, all right. Fair, fair point. Okay. So, like, I don't know. It's like don't this, Don't clip the last episode. This, this is, like, <laughs> more middling, annoying, silly Tilly that we got way back in season one. And, man, like, Chase, you gotta walk me through the, the like, what the therapy is here by just like trying new things and getting out of our comfort zone and that involves ordering food you don't normally order taking yeah. a different way to get to the bridge sleeping mm -hmm. the opposite way is that 
helpful at all? So, um, kind of. I mean, it's it's. You gotta, um, you gotta talk me through this. So it's partly it, it's it's certainly some behavioral modification stuff that you can do through um, essentially like um, exposure therapy. Um, it also kind of comes down to um, this guy named Albert Ellis, who is known for what's called rational emotive behavioral therapy, and with um, um, like exposure therapy, for example, is meant to like kind of help you get over like phobias or whatever type of thing. Like maybe you're like terrified of airplanes because you're part of like an airplane crash or something like that, or you're terrified of snakes. So um, to not be afraid of snakes or spiders or pick something, you gradually like desensitize yourself to it. So maybe like you like enter the reptile house, like that's it. Like, and then you like walk out and then like you walk into the reptile house and then you start to approach the snake section and that's it. And then after a while you actually go up to the case of like a snake and then maybe eventually like you see someone holding a snake and then eventually you are holding a snake to the point where you're no longer afraid of snakes. So that's exposure therapy, rational motive behavioral therapy, uh, which like, like I said, with, with Ellis, like if you're, um, if you have like this irrational fear of like elevators or of like an experience, like Ellis would essentially say, well, okay, we'll go ahead and ride the elevator 80 times before Monday. So you can take the job on the 80th floor type of thing. So there, there's like those two different things that kind of taking place. Like one's meant to deal with like, like cognitions, like irrational stuff. And like one's meant to deal with like a phobia, which is still kind of an irrational fear in the grand scheme of things. But yes, but yes, you can have someone like go eat mac and cheese or take a different way to work. And it's it over time. It it does help because it's changing the way that you're thinking and experiencing and processing an experience, essentially. Okay, I just this doesn't seem like this is helpful. And then like, Saru, can I go water your plants? (laughs) Well, well, how is that going to how is that going to help? Well, we, we haven't gotten to the to kind of the core of what her what her issue is. It's like we haven't figured out why we should care about the potential therapeutic means. It's like, what is her what is her problem? Does she think she doesn't deserve to be in Starfleet? Does she not secretly like not want to be there anymore? Is it something to do with being nine hundred years in the future? You know, cropping back up. Like we haven't identified why we're supposed to emote with her. Like, why are we, why are we following you on this journey of eating mac and cheese and watering plants when we don't know what you're feeling? And I think, I think that some people might connect a little bit more if they understood what her, what her actual feelings were, but we're not getting that counselor session with Colbert. We're just being told that, yeah, Dr. Colbert told me to try different stuff and so forth and I, I don't know if that's necessarily helpful to an audience no, who's, I, no, who's trying I, I, to I, connect with characters I agree with you and I think it has something to do with like the she, she's mentioned the cadets several times in these episodes right we went to that that Starfleet Academy ceremony and it was right after that where she started talking about 
you know, we came with, like, she was having issues, and then in this episode, she brings them up again. Like, those cadets, they're so sure of themselves. They're, they they know exactly, like, this is the place where they're supposed to be, and maybe it is all of her experiences. She's realizing that maybe Starfleet is not her, her place in life. I don't know, but we need to see that. We need to know exactly what she's feeling. I'm just this wondering. is why I called it the Reg Barkley episode. This would no, be my no. Reg Barkley episode where we this go is... to the hollow deck and do some fun stuff, you know? Oh, I totally <laughs> got when 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 she's like on the actual mission later on that we're just gonna talk about in a minute, I was totally like, this is they're trying to do Reg Barkley here. I was so I've been kind of getting this feeling and I've been like kind of like sitting on it. Um like going back to like the academy, you know, like with like the cadet like little drop thing and like just how she's kind of behaving. I've been thinking like this is like straight up some kind of like imposter syndrome that's like really starting to take a hold of her and really start to mess with her. Because you got to think like whenever she started in the show, right? Like she was a cadet attached to the ship. They went and saved the universe. And next thing you know, now she's promoted to ensign. And from there, like, she's doing whatever, and then she's, you know, going from ensign to being the first officer um, who lost the ship, and now, now that she like that everything's like back to normal again. They saved the universe, and you know they, they've rebuilt the Federation. I'm not being sarcastic right now, uh, by the way. And now all of a sudden she's a lieutenant junior grade, like. That's a that's a lot for for someone that's essentially like fresh out of the academy. I mean, like other other Starfleet officers would probably like be very proud of themselves, but she's questioning herself, like feeling like this imposter, especially potentially feeling like an imposter when, and I think it's it a lot of it's being triggered and really coming to the forefront now that Starfleet Academy has been reestablished in this far flung future. Well, it boils down to a question that I think either I asked or one of the two of you asked before when we were in that first officer episode. Would you trust Tilly as your commanding officer? And I think, again, this is this is rotating back to what I've said progressively now, that there's somebody in that writer's room who is understanding the gripes with season three. And that was a mistake that they made putting her as first officer it made her look kind of silly you know the character itself because she wasn't near ready for that or it could have been a master stroke all along to show that there's more to being in command than just being in command and now we're seeing the repercussions of that so if you can stick with the story long enough and see it from that lens, which is not what most casual viewers are going to be able to see, sure. and only the people who over talk about it at eleven o'clock at night. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at that point, I can make those connections. But that's pretty big-brained if that's if that's really what we're aiming at. Yeah, going even more big-brained on that. If it's some masterstroke, it's always like Saru that is putting her in these situations because. In the, and the second episode from last season when they were on the ice planet and going to the colony, Saru was going to go out and look for the colony, and who did he say was the perfect person to come with him? Tilly. And we were all like, 
is she is she really the best person to go with you <laughs> is and she then, and is she, she? <laughs> and, and at that point i thought it was like a good move by saru i was like really like like i was really hyping up saru at that point because i thought this is a captain building up and showing confidence in in his in a person under his command and he's like helping her grow as an officer and i was really like high on that and then you know things change right and then he made her for then saru decided hey i'm gonna make tilly first officer and now that didn't work out very well and now here you know it's saru that says to michael burnham maybe you should take tilly as your backup right because if you need backup on this really dangerous mission the person who's gonna help help keep you alive and protect you from dangerous warrior ninja nuns is Tilly, right? That's that's the perfect person. So it's is now this I, big is this big brain master strategy from Saru to like to like make Tilly a better better officer? <laughs> well, to, to, just to further beat this dead horse just a little bit, Chase, if you'll indulge a little bit more kicking, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Dead horse. Um, I'll, I'll say this from, from, you know, personal experience. I, I've been in, you know, management in, in one form or another for, well, <laughs> not to make myself feel particularly old, but for some time now. Um, I think that, I mean, I can draw on one particular experience with, with one of the people that I manage who had, has a hard time with anxiety, cannot interview at all well um, has progressively needed encouragement that I myself as, a, as an overtly uh, logical and um, hyper uh, whatever person words aren't coming very easy at <clears throat> as advertised 11 o'clock at night uh, observant person uh, but I think that if you if you find something within someone that you feel you can cultivate, it is about progressively putting them in scenarios that they can shine in. Now, they won't always shine in them. And I've had that problem with this, this person once or twice where they've just underachieved. But I continued to push the envelope because I knew that eventually they could do something with themselves given the effort. And actually this week I just got notification while I was on my vacation that they have now moved into a management level role because of all the work that we've put in for that. So while I, I, I don't particularly think they've done a, a very great job with, with, with Tilly because we're still seeing the same anxious person. That's it's, it's almost bordering on a bit of cringe at this point. Like, I, I, I really have a hard time with, with cringe. I kind of do that almost like cartoony finger and ears thing mm -hmm. when, when something that really bothers me comes up that I, I feel is hype Agreed. really embarrassing, you know? Yeah. And, and it doesn't seem like we've progressed. However, like I said, I mean, if we do actually start to explain this a bit through Culver, I, I think it could be a really cool thing for the people who do have those, those anxieties and who do have those you know, problems or who, who might be in situations where the people who are around them aren't pushing them to be better versions of themselves. And maybe if we can push Tilly to the finish line just a little bit longer, maybe 
that might be helpful, but at the same time, it's it it gets so silly. It gets so silly t- sometimes, you know. It's, it's the thing. I I don't really want to. I mean, I think it's important to maybe talk about this. Maybe not. I don't know. But you, you know, like at the academy, like you're you're typically picking out like um, the the preferred path that you want to pursue, right? Like whether you want to go you know, engineering, you're mechanically inclined, perhaps you want to do something with fixing ships, you want to be part of like the, the medical corps, you know, you want to, or, you know, you want to be a doctor, you want to be like Deanna Troy, perhaps being a counselor, you want to go command, or you just want to focus straight science. And I think the question that we've kind of raised is like, what does Tilly do? Like, I feel like there's been like a question mark um, for most of the series of like, what does she do? And like with the cadet thing, like you're kind of learning, you're kind of picking stuff out. And like she was hanging out like with the with Stamets and like the spore drive and everything early on. Yeah, she was like a research assistant. Right. Like that. that's about it. Like anyone can be a research assistant. Um, so I think like I don't I really don't want to harp on the writers. I really don't. Um, I just feel like they're. But at the same time, I do feel like there's like missed opportunities. And now I feel like we're just playing catch up with her character to a certain extent of like. Okay, what did Tilly intend to pursue, right? Did she intend to pursue command, science, engineering? What was it? Whatever it is, let's do it, right? Let's just do it and just keep on trucking. So, but yes, but yeah, but yeah, Saru, but Saru is like, let's give her this opportunity essentially because like she's pretty good at like kind of easing people, like kind of chilling people out for the most part and that might be a good thing with this mission that you're going on all right let's let's pick up the pace here right right yada 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 we we land on this we land on this moon because we've got a we've got a tracking signal in the dilithium right so that she stole this javini stole the dilithium but we were able to track it so we know exactly where she's going so we land on this thing and Put our shields down, I guess, because that's what we do when we land on stuff. And uh, hey, look, people storm the ship immediately, transport on there, and attack and kill the bodyguard or the extra person right away. Another sword fight. Lots of sword fights in this episode. <laughs> did, did, did you see? Did you see that coming from a mile away? Oh, she was. <laughs> she was the one who totally. She, she nursed me back to health. She was like. She's the only thing I had in this world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We did skip over. I did. We did skip over that part, right? That this Javini is the like, like of course, right? There's a connection between Burnham's mother and this person who's stealing the dilithium. She was the one who found her and brought her into the Koatmala and nursed her back. And Burnham's mom was her lost cause, right? Because the the Koatmala only bind their swords to. Hopeless Lost causes. causes. Lost causes, hopeless causes, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, she says, like, hey, if you follow me down here, your lives are over. Like, I'm, like, you can leave now. I'll let you leave. But if you follow me, nope, nope, we're not friends anymore. Unfriend. We are no longer Facebook official. And then Chili's like, we're just going to ignore that warning, right? Eric, I've been waiting. I've been waiting 
um, for this moment to be able to say this, and I hope this makes David proud. That's no moon. <laughs> I wanted to say that too. I was like, it's no moon. <laughs> That's no planet. That's a starship. <laughs> well, where, well, where's the dilithium? Oh, it's it's above us. Look up. Look up. There it is. How, that how, was kind of. How do we get up there? Let's well, fan thing, out. One quick thing I want to point out here that kind of it, it irritates me just a little bit. So, what is the first thing that we would normally get people doing when they first beam down to a planet? Fan out. Scanning. Sure. Scan for life yeah. forms. And they didn't do that. They did scan eventually, which made me happy. But the first thing I would have thought about when I go onto this planet, it's like, oh, Try. it's like a tomb. Tricorders out, scan. Oh, but no, not until we find the dead alien. <laughs> which, to me, looks suspiciously too much like Species 8472, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I mean, not the right color tone, but sure, I can see body-wise. Yeah, when they did like the wide shot, like it was like a top-down shot, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. of this alien species. I was like, man, those like those legs, those tendrils, those something look like the eight four seven two right there. Yeah. I'm like, are we in fluidic space now? And I just don't know about it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, and then uh, we find we find like bodies in cryostasis, and there's like lots of them, and then. We're gonna deactivate the engines to use Tilly as bait to lure Javini out, and we lure her out. And there's another sword fight, another sword fight. We gotta get three of them in, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, this is where I have a big problem. I already said I have a big problem with this storyline, but like, okay, so Javini now reveals the whole situation that. She was just traveling through space, and she got, like, a telepathic connection to these species. And I can't remember what the species is. It starts with an A, but I can't remember the name of the species. I don't know if you have it. I don't. Either one of you remembered. And, like, their bodies have, like, latinum in them, so they're (laughs) valuable to, to poachers, I guess. And so she got this telepathic connection to come help. And she felt instantly like bonded to these aliens, and and because they were in cryostasis, they were helpless, and that was their lost cause. And so she decides, hey, I'm gonna help them, but I have to. But because of this anomaly, right, I have to help them by stealing dilithium so I can move their moon spaceship, which like. We all knew, we knew all along that there was gonna be some like, you know, um, noble. I'll put noble in air quotes. Some noble reason why she was of doing course. this, right? But like, I, I have a big problem with this because she's. They're like, you didn't have to steal dilithium. You could have just asked for it. We were giving it away, and she's like, I did ask for it. Did you? Did you ask for it? Because if you did your whole absolute candor thing and went to the Federation, this is exactly the type of thing that they would have wanted to help you with. Mm-hmm. And, like, this, like, there's there's a really, really good Star Trek story in this, right? 
Like you could have made an episode about Agreed. this this person coming to the Federation asking for help, but now we've got to figure out a science way to move this ship asteroid or somewhere so it gets safe or fix their ship or help them wake up, something. And that could have been the entire episode with a small beeline, right? And that could have been a really good classic Star Trek episode. But no, we had to turn this into some action storyline about a lone wolf on some noble mission, right? And it's just like, ah, it's frustrating. Well, and, then, and, that's, it's and then the fix, well, the fix was just playing on a console. We yeah, didn't even really yeah. get we didn't even really get an explanation as to what had went wrong with their regenerative cryo whatever. We just right. knew that Michael fixed it real quick. And, and no, I, I agree, but I, I will say just if I can if I can put one funny thing in here because we all need a touch of humor. Mm. I mean, do you think do you think this Quat Malat was just like? I mean, they've got latinum in their blood and they're in their body. It's like, but this one is dead. I could use some of that latinum. <sighs> you know. I mean, I mean, there was a Ferengi bartender <laughs> the- on on the Discovery in their own ten forward. So maybe if he had caught wind of it, he'd have been all about that. What you're telling me is there's latinum in their blood. How can, I exploit, like that? Pig? How can I exploit that? <laughs> No, but like, like we give out these Delta ratings at the end of the episodes. Like, this whole storyline could have been a great way to get a science Delta. Could have been a great way to get an engineering Delta, right? But nope, we just, hey, I'm going to just spend a couple minutes bloop, bloop, blooping, blooping on this alien computer that I've never seen before, and I'm going to fix their cryo thing and get them all to wake up. Bloop, 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 blooping. On this computer I've never seen before, and I'm just gonna fix it like that because I'm Michael Burnham and I'm the greatest thing ever. I mean, it's it's true. Ah, it's frustrating. I don't hate it. It's just really frustrating. It, it could have been better. It, it, it could it could have been, been much. A better. really classic Star Trek episode, and this could have just been the episode with the small beeline. Yeah, and I, I think also to that point, though, I mean, I think we can all name episodes from past treks that we really identify with that we could go back to and watch over and over and over again. But I mean, that, I, and I think that that's what's made the show so memorable. But can you honestly go back and say, like, even in our highest rated episodes that we've done here, can you honestly name them? Like right off the top of the header, would you go back and watch them? Do you, I mean, is is there that sort of connection? And I don't want to sound like an old guy or something. Oh, I like the old nineteen eighty seven classic, you know. But but it, it, but if you can't if you can't even make what was a really good episode just a great episode, then what hope is there for the rest of it? Not to be pessimistic, but what it, what hope is there for the series as a whole? If all you're doing is trying to button up storylines and, and stitch together random ABC plots while not exploiting what you legitimately had as a, an A-plus plot, potentially. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I, and to go to your point, I keep saying this. There's that episode in Season 2. It's the Stranger Things episode where they have to go rescue Tilly 
from the upside down. I mean, the mycelial Colbert. network, right? No, and then they find Culver there. He's like the monster, right? But they're oh, going right, to right. rescue yeah, yeah. Tilly, yeah. and it's like aliens that live in the mycelial network and the spore drive is killing them and it's a really good star trek episode and i just call it the upside down episode because i can't remember the name of it right but i was like i like that episode but i think that's the problem it's like i can like like you guys always say hey remember that episode from the next generation where they did this and i'm like oh yeah i got the episode title right off the top of my head yep <laughs> what was that saints of imperfection that sounds right, but now yeah. only I only knew that when you said it. I couldn't think of it. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yep. All right. Well, yeah, that's this the whole, A plot. This whole like, hey, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again type of thing? Have you tried pressing this button? Is essentially what that boiled yeah. down to. Like, seriously, like, just do this. And then yep. you know we then we 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 take her into custody and we turn her over back to the Navarre people because politics says we have to. And but then, that that made that made a lot of sense to me though. But yeah, I know. But then that we have to get did. we have to get the Burnham. Excuse me. How dare yeah. you turn this person over? How dare you do that? This she murdered someone. She has to be in our custody, right? And like Burnham just like trying to clap back at her superiors because. She hasn't learned anything. Well, she's not well, a Federation I, citizen. Burnham? No, the the oh, qua, the, but, but you know she, I can't her, remember her name. Her Giovanni. Her, cri- her crime yeah. was against the Federation, so they have every right to want her in their court system and in their prison. Do do they? I mean, an honest question. Do they? Yeah, if a foreign national commits a crime on U.S. soil. The U.S. is going to want them in their court system and in their jail system. But does it actually happen like that? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, think so. <laughs> not all the time. It just all depends. I mean, no, usually, I, I, there's, I under- there's a lot of problems with jurisdictional stuff like that oh, in our current government. Oh. And I understand the politics of it, absolutely, why yeah, you right. turn this person over because you're trying to repair relations. And, and the president basically just tells Burnham, deal with it because it's a decision I made well, and then, and then yeah. Vance has a great metaphor right which <laughs> which was like my absolute favorite part I have the quote pulled up because I, I, I wanted to talk I, I about it like that. well, well j- j- just just before you do that because it is really good but like I don't want to gloss over what the president said as much because f- f- with what she said or the way I interpret it there is justice when you consider the potential aid to millions that a single act of legitimately just jurisdictional jargon could create by bringing Navarre back into the fold. So the justice is a bit more metaphorical, but it's on a much grander scale. And that leads into yeah. then what chase can now explain at least from my standpoint so i i i just don't want it to sound like you know we're, we're brushing or at least i i don't want to sound like i i want to brush past what the president said because at the i actually thought it was explained pretty well from her standpoint that's just me I, though so no, i do too i do too yeah yeah what what vance what what the dad merle says is just it's so beautiful and i was like i was like almost standing up and clapping and i'm sure you know based on what uh, David was saying, like you know, with him um, not liking musicals and preferring um, orchestras, uh, that this really resonated with him as well. 
um, when he said, think of us as an orchestra, your first chair violin with the showy challenging solos. Ain't that the truth, by the way. I'm the drum section, setting the pace, providing backbone. She's the conductor. When she signals us, we play. It's not our job to know if the cellist is drunk or the woodwinds and brass are at war. We each have a part and we must all trust that she knows the symphony. It was it was so real because I, I I have been a part of an orchestra and I and oh. that that's it's it's ridiculously real. It's so the true. sort of the sort of infighting that can happen between sections in a particular group. <laughs> I do I remember okay dude I don't know about you, but like trumpets seem to always get like the glory for some reason. At least with like the bands I've been in, like the orchestras I've been in, like they would get so much glory, and like. The trombones could like do no good. In fact, I remember the um, the band teacher in eighth grade giving me and like the trombone section like so much heck. Like he blamed the trombone section for everything that was wrong with our little st- student orchestra. It made no sense to me. But yes, there there is so much truth to that. What, what yeah, you're for, saying for 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 more of the stringed instruments, it's always the violas. Nobody cares about the violas. The ch- the sure. cello. When you actually get cello solos, that's always like a bigger deal than a first violin solo because it's a it's a more eloquent instrument, no no doubt about it. And I played violin. But I was always the troublemaker who sat wherever I wanted and just played whatever part I wanted because I was so <laughs> bored. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't respect authority. <laughs> but but yeah, that it was it was a very apt analogy. She's like that I, was a, I love that, that was a really long analogy. <laughs> well, they pay me by the letter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See that—that's the kind of humor that, like, it's—it's it's good. It's good rapport, you know. Yeah. It's good yeah. to have that kind of stuff in there. But but it, but yeah, it's. I liked it. I I I just love that. Like I'm like I have to talk about this on the show when the, when this comes up. Like I think I played that that clip. Um, like three or four times just because I loved it so much and I mean it, it's 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 just so true it's just so true like you can't just rely on just the trumpets or the violins or the whatevers you know you can't just have drums um, you, I mean everything has to be working together in unison to really bring the song to life to really hey, make the whole thing work Chicago is not Chicago without Lee Lochnane and James Panko no the trumpet and trombone player for the music band Chicago. No. I just was trying to see how long you, we can go being there quiet. There is a rock band named Chicago. I, I, yeah, I know. I don't know, about them, right? I don't know really. A, I know what who they are. I don't know the idiosyncrasies. Right, they're they're rock and roll with horns, right? They have a full time trumpet player, trombone player in the band, right? Lee Lochnane is the trumpet player. James Pankow is the trombone player. That's what we call ska music. You uncultured. No. No, Chicago is not a ska band. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, do they practice Santeria? You want me to take my shuttlecraft and go home, Eric? Oh, my God. Can you yeah. just finish this up and like let me know when you're done, and I'll just put it all together? Okay. All right. We got the A line done. <laughs> Like somebody, yeah. just, I took the A line. Somebody take the B line. So, 
book and Stamets have some some pretty good character development going on with um, what I would consider the B storyline, um, where you? it's essential. I would consider it the B. Do you, do you consider it the B line? This has got to be the B line because it relates be? to the over. It relates to the overall arcing theme of the season, right? Okay. I mean, this no, it it to, it to, it totally is. I just I want to be contrarian because the the C line is obviously meant to be far more impactful. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you can have the C just line, David. I don't want it. <laughs> Too late. I'm, I'm, I'm punting that. that right back. I'm punting that right back to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> to the audience. So I like. Okay, so. A kind of a drive-by fruiting of this. We have Stamets, who's like investigating like these, these things. Like he's going through um, like these proofs, these um, like assessments, these whatever of like determining like does it meet criteria for it to be this thing? And there's this one missing component of tachyons not being present, which he identifies. So instead of like calling it the dark matter anomaly, he just shortens it down to the DMA, which is what we already said at one point in this conversation. And you know, he's he's he feels this this burden to really understand, to unravel, to try and solve this thing, just to kind of sink his teeth into it, period, from you know, like the heartfelt connection, the whatever that happened as a result of of um you know, the ship and everything kind of going nuts and anomaly last time, um, trying to do this for book to help him get some, some sort of peace through this whole situation. And, um, ultimately it's decided that, Hey, we, we need to get Navarre involved in this. So let's go speak with the Navarre. Uh, was it science Institute or Academy? I can't remember. I think it was Institute. I think it was Institute also. And book like just really wants to help. And like almost not quite begging, but he's just very much pleading with Stamets like, hey, let me help. Like, I want to feel useful again, essentially. And, you know, Stamets is saying I have to be really clinical and very cold and everything. But, you know, you being someone that was affected by it, that actually observed this might go a long way, too. So, yeah, let's go. And I kind of like this. Um, I kind of don't like this. I have a very mixed feeling about like this whole scene that's taking place with on, on Navarre when we actually get there. And we're up in, with the high council in the clouds looking down on the other lower councils uh, with everyone sitting in their chairs. And, um, and you know, while, while Stamet stands in the center and he's being assessed and being evaluated by his statements, uh, people, you know, meditating and looking through him and everything like that. Uh, basically saying we 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 um, allow you on this on this precipice, but we do not grant you admission to the science institute. Type of thing Th- is what's this, taking place. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that always just annoyed me about the whole Vulcan thing. It's like, listen, I I totally understand that you want to put forward the whole completely logical thing, but at the same time, they're scientists. I mean, th- th- these are these are science, th- and this would be the scientist of scientists. And instead of explaining anything or getting in depth of anything, what we have is meditation time with no talking until we decide, uh, no, there's no tachyon. Screw you, buddy. You're stupid. 
I, I, I want, I mean, for the love of God, can we just get like some, some science stuff? Like the science? It just, just a little bit of, little piece of science. Like a little bit I, of talk of science. Yeah, it didn't even look like they were, they were, they were just meditating, but they weren't looking through data unless they had like memorized it and went to their mind palace, I guess, is what they were doing, right? I mean. <laughs> That's kind of what it felt like they were doing. He was killed in the library with the candlestick. (laughs) All right, Sherlock. Yeah, that's that's what the reference was. Yep, that's what it looked like they did. They just memorized it, went into their mind palace, and came back like no evidence of tachyons was detected. So your theory cannot be proven. Goodbye. This, so this is like part of the problem that I had with it is this didn't really advance the story at all except for we we're on Navarre great we're on Navarre no no the entire purpose of this storyline is to help book overcome his issues and I exactly I talked that's about what I was about to say week. I talked about this last week like book should be basically a, a useless pile of goo at this at this moment in time he has been through this severe traumatic event and he has survivor's guilt and he basically tried to kill himself last week i mean that's that's what he tried to do and and this whole plot line just sir was trying to like the producers the writers producers whatever trying to like get him past that super fast because i'm assuming they're gonna want some badass moment from him coming up in the future and they needed to get him over his survivor's guilt his trauma and that's what this whole scene was about as far as I'm concerned and I I think it's just way too fast because by the end of this episode you know Book and Burnham are having this conversation in bed and they're basically like he's basically like you know I was terrible yesterday but I'm good now even this morning even this morning morning, but I'm good now I'm, I'm over I'm over all my grief because I was able to revisit this memory of my nephew and he looked back at me and he saw that I loved him and that's enough for me to get over my grief, which, listen, people deal with grief lots of different ways. Chase, you know that and you can talk more about this more intelligently than I can, but I've dealt with grief and and loss and suffering in my life and it this is I don't know, you can't you can't do this you can't just get through it like this. Well, that, and that's that's why you make an entire episode out of it, not yeah, to they're... not to not yeah not to uh, instantly explain it away, but to give people enough time to connect with the problem, the character, and then their path forward. Because as as again back to Eric, it isn't something that is just over and done with. No. You know, it, it has to be a pervasive thing that maybe you deal with down the line, but that is what that would be. Uh, uh, and I can't think of any anything right off the top of my head. I mean, there's been plenty of counseling sessions that have been main parts of episodes in different Trek, but that's just the opportunity to. And it was the same thing I complained about, complained about with Detmer, where Detmer should have had her own episode to get over a PTSD and then do the pilot thing who, that you know, prove she can still do her job. Whereas in this case with book, it could have been as simple as 
having this episode to get him to that memory to realize that his nephew did actually, uh, in their Quajon way, show him that he understood the love or the, or the connection that they had, which allows him a coping mechanism to help him through tough times as he goes along. But I felt like, again, it was so crammed, packed full in this jumble episode that you didn't get enough time. And, and, and Book has been one of my favorite characters since his introduction. Um, and, and he could have had such a bigger impact here. And then you could have dealt with mental health a lot in a bigger, bigger way. Yeah. And, and one thing that I wanted to, to just clarify for, for the listeners and even, even with you guys, that it's not that this was a waste because it wasn't. I mean, like, obviously, like, we yeah. had, like, this, this moment with Book. It was just that we, we had already known that tachyons were missing. And it was just, like, a retread of saying the thing that we as the audience already know, that tachyons are missing and that we're missing this thing. So, like, why did we have all this, like, buildup to it just to get to this point? Oh, wait, so we can reintroduce the Vulcan mind meld in the far-flung future. Like, this is the... The, 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 the farthest in the future that the Vulcan mind meld is, is present that we know of. And one thing I do like about this is one, we get very much a first person like shot of a Vulcan mind meld. Like normally it's just like you're standing there eyes closed and like you're whispering stuff. I really liked, I really liked the, the, the composition of this shot and how it was done. Um, I thought it was very well done. Um, and the thing that was coming to mind to add on to what we're talking about, like with grief and how we deal with it, how we process it, the experiences with it. Another thing that we, we can do or that some folks can do, choose to do is this whole guided imagery kind of thing in therapy. So where you kind of like are essentially like walking through memories, walking through experiences, um, to essentially process or to um, process to generate some closure, some something or another. And I, th- I, thought that, I thought it was pretty well done in the grand scheme of things. Um, you can use guided imagery in, in different concept, contexts. I don't use it. Um, I don't want to mess with that kind of stuff. Like you can really screw someone up if you don't do it right. And um, <clears throat> not that I would ever intentionally want to mess someone up. I just don't want to take a chance of it I just it's just too too weird for me to, to do personally it's not my it's not my cup of tea but when done effectively it can create some very very positive change in a client so I really liked kind of how it was teed up like kind of using like what's used in like the mental health field in the context of a Vulcan mind meld with book I liked it a lot it really that really worked for me with that shot that whole that's just that whole scene in general and, um, and eventually being able to kind of give him some kind of healing, some kind of peace, some kind of acceptance with what happened. Um, we, you, you hear stuff about like the stages of grief and you don't necessarily go in, through the stages of grief in a linear fashion, right? Like it just doesn't happen necessarily. So like whether you're like, you might be in denial and then you might, you know, jump to say um, depression and like you might come back to 
um, something else like anger. You might go to bargaining before you ever even arrive at this acceptance of what happened. So like, you're going to go back and forth. And just because we didn't see every stage of every single stage of grief with Book doesn't mean that he wasn't going through his own grief process. To a certain extent, he has arrived at acceptance, question mark, air quotes. I don't know. Yeah, I just um, think it's too fast. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, on yes, this and the Detmer thing from last season, way too fast. And I think I was very critical of that, too. Like, we don't get over PTSD like that. Sometimes people deal with PTSD for the rest of their life or a very good chunk of their life before they're able to kind of integrate it and know how to do life anew, essentially. So, yeah, it was just completely brushed over. And, but that being said, I think this was a little bit, and I just mean a tiny itsy bitsy little skosh of a bit better dealt with than the Detmer thing. Yeah. Just a little bit. All right, so Adira and Gray. So we're we're finally gonna get her to. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get Gray. I'm sorry, we're gonna get um, Adira and Gray to kind of break up, and then get back together essentially. Yeah, and so and so we talked about this last week. I think it's like, how are they going to like transfer Gray into this body, and did that mean like losing? the memories of Grey from the tall symbiote. And and we learn here that they're basically going to do this Jintara ceremony. That's the same thing that Jadzia went through when all of her previous hosts came out and went into the bodies of the different crew members. And so they bring in this guardian to perform this ceremony, which, you know, I'm assuming that this means that, like, like, Jadzia lost all of the memories of these previous hosts when they went through this ceremony, which was kind of like the big deal about when Curzon and Odo kind of merged into one character. And, like, she wasn't going to get those memories and those feelings and all that knowledge back from Curzon because it was all gone. And so, you know, they do the Jintara ceremony. They can transfer these consciousnesses into living bodies but this guardian is like i don't know if it's gonna work in this picard golem thing you got over here this synthetic body maybe it won't work maybe maybe we're gonna lose you forever maybe who knows but like i'm okay with this being the way that we're going to transfer the consciousness or whatever because this fits with at least somewhat of accepted star trek lore whereas like I'm still not over the Adira can survive being the host to a Trill symbiote. I still want that explained. But at least this is explained in a way that is consistent with Star Trek lore. Yeah. They've I don't like it at all. Oh. No, I think I think I think that it's completely ridiculous personally. And the the biggest lesson that I think could have been brought out in this particular scenario is acceptance of loss. Gray's dead. He, he's dead. He died. It's unfortunate, but he died. His life was terminated. His essence was gone. 
I don't I don't like the fact that we are fudging that person because that was a person and and again hypothetical talking about a show that was a person who lived and died and what we are what we have is the memory through tall it's not gray now we're making it gray but in my opinion it's not gray is dead and I think it would have been an amazing lesson for Adira to understand that it is okay to let go. It is okay to accept the things that we cannot change. It, it is okay to accept death. But in her case, the cool thing about being able to carry the symbiote, who Gray also carried, is that they can now always have a connection with all of those who came before them. Right. And that is the point, in my opinion, of the symbiote and the trill. It is learning and growing within the experiences of the past and adding your unique experiences to the mix, thus enriching the next host. You don't get to just ply out random personalities I don't I don't I, I just I don't like it I don't like the way it was done I don't like where we're going with it it has nothing to do with the character or the the actor or anything like that it just has to do with the fact that you are not accepting that you killed the character and you are also not accepting that that they're gone you have to accept that they're gone and, and the and other thing that I brought up last week, and, and, and sorry, Eric, I'll, I'll just I'll do this relatively no, quick. No, no, but the, the thing that I the thing that I brought up last week is, well, if you can do that with Gray, then why can't you do it with anyone else? Then you live forever, and you can never accept death because you will always be around. And I I don't like it. I just I just don't I don't like that that idea personally. No, and, and what I'm what I'm, I'm just on your point here is that the experiences of each host get passed down through the symbiote to the next host and the next host becomes better for that right they mm -hmm. they grow mm -hmm. from the memories and they learn from the memories and the experiences Indeed. of those who came before them but i'm assuming that this means gray tall for even for how briefly we assume that gray was the host of tall before the accident happened all of those memories and experiences now going to be pulled out out of the tall symbiote and like adira is no longer going to have those and the next host of the tall symbiote will not have those memories as either and so your 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 in a sense your lessening i don't know what the if that's the right word but your lessening or taking away from the ability to learn from that and to make the next host better because of it. Who, who I don't was, like that uh, at all. Yeah, who was the, the host of the Dax symbiote that died in the... Um, uh, the shuttle accident? Tobias? Maybe. There was one that died in a shuttle accident. There was, yeah, yeah. So, I forget the name. 
yeah th- th- there's 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 a, even a lesson to be learned in that for Jedzia and then Ezri you know what I mean like just plucking experience away from the now host whoever that might be I, I just and again it, it also just when you get into the whole metaphysical thing and, and the the belief in the existence of the soul where's the soul I, I don't I don't know I I have yeah. a lot of problems. I, no, I wasn't it. saying I like the storyline. I yeah, was saying yeah. I like the explanation of how they're going to do it because sure. it fits with Star Trek canon, where I don't think transferring Picard into a synthetic body fit at all. And I still don't like that story because <laughs> Picard died, right? He sacrificed himself to save the synthetics. And that was like in character for him and now you just bring him back as this weird golem thing and I'm not still not okay with that yeah so I I got to thinking about something and I wonder what y'all think about this last season when we get to Trill right Adira comes down and she's met by like the guardians and all the other Trill folks um, like, cause she's disconnected from the memories, right? Of, of tall. And they talk about how, you know, yes, she's human. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, Adira is human. Sorry. Got to work on that. And that, um, there aren't that many symbionts that are left. Um, and that it's, it's kind of weird to even, and, and just surprising in general, to be able to meet um, hosts and people that have symbionts in general. Um, provocative thought, but not too far out the realm of possibility with Discovery at this point. Thoughts on this. If we can create a golem of a human, or of any species for that matter, who's to say that we couldn't create golems of symbionts themselves to repopulate Trill society. I hate that idea. You're welcome, Eric. <laughs> I literally hate yeah. that idea. I, th- I think that's kind of a chicken, chicken or the egg scenario, though, isn't it? What came, what comes first? Can you actually replicate a symbiote? Uh, because not even with that, if you're going to golem a symbiote, you're goleming everything and do you do they would they have the technology to literally transfer every personality every it it, it seems like trying to stuff too much in and then here's an interesting thing or at least to me it is what is a symbiote before its first host does it have its own personality does it have, I mean, or, or, or is the personality developed over time through all of its shared learning? Is there a base personality for a symbiote? And how do you cultivate that in a golem? Those are some good um, philosophical questions that I don't have an answer to. Mm-hmm. Twitter poll. <laughs> by the way, by the way, the, the Dax symbiote... That um crap that was in the shuttle pod accident, Tarias. Tarias, okay. Yeah, you said Tobias. 
It, it was, was close. It started with a T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was you, trying to do some on the fly. You were right. Up. You were right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you that. Um. Anyway. Yeah, but so in in the end, in the end though, um, the consciousness is transferred into the golem. It's it succeeds. Uh, Guardian Z shows up, um, essentially congratulates on a successful procedure and looking forward to, um, you know, meeting in person and trying to continue, you know, guardian training basically for, um, for gray and, um, hugs ensue. There's like some Spock robes with, but instead of it being, you know, a bathrobe, it's got gold looking stuff on it. And that's basically it. And we're going to see what happens from now on. Uh, which leads us to what I consider to be the D plot, which is Culber and Tilly. And it's very, it is very brief, but it's, it's just the whole Mac and cheese thing, trying out the different things. And even to an extent, like just wrapping it all up with Culber kind of talking to Saru there at the very end in their own discovery 10 forward. And yeah. Um, do, yeah. What do you, what do y'all think of the, the, the cool fire 10 forward with, gas fireplaces Dude, all over I, the walls. I like it. I it actually kind of has a cool vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the lounge. It looks like a lodge, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that I mean that's that's the show uh, for for Disco episode 3. Um, we've been we've talked about this a lot. So, let's let's move into the um, evaluative stuff unless y'all have any final bits that we needed to say. About the episode. No. All right. Delta. So if this is the first time y'all are listening to this, we're going to see how well the different divisions of Starfleet are represented in this episode, whether it's command uh, having to do with like leadership, leadership theory, um, stuff like that, science or um, engineering operations type of stuff. So with that, um, let's get cracking. Let's start with um, Eric on this one. Well... There's a great missed opportunity for a science delta. I already said that. Great missed one. We didn't learn anything at the Vulcan Science Institute. Anything new, as Chase said. I mean, at least Stamets is trying to go through the data, but there's there's nothing science going on here. I'm there's it's just not. There's nothing engineering going down. Nobody tried to even there was I don't there was no mention of even trying to engineer a way out of anything in this episode, so I'm not giving it that. David has kind of convinced me, though, through our discussion of Saru, that, like, maybe if you see something in somebody, you keep, like, and how he did this real-life experience, how he saw something, and he kept putting somebody in a position that there's a potential for leadership there. Like, Saru sees something in Tilly, and he's just gonna keep putting her in situations until... Hey, maybe she'll fail, but then she can come out of it on the other end good. So maybe there's a little bit of leadership there, but, like, I don't really see Michael Burnham being a leader in this episode. We, that we don't, we're, not, we're never even on the bridge of the Discovery. Right? We don't even no, make it to the bridge. Yeah. We don't see the bridge crew at all in this episode. They're just not here. I mean, maybe there's something with Char- with Admiral Vance, like and this metaphor and like trying to explain like 
this to Burnham. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something with the Federation yeah. president, like being a leader and, and playing politics. So, like, I guess you can try and give some leadership Delta, but it's like, maybe. Maybe. Okay. What do you got, David? Yeah, I mean, the. Uh from the science standpoint I mean there, there's some very surface level stuff going on there um, that doesn't quite quite come to fruition uh, like we've already talked about you know going to this floating science institute in the sky helix looking thing um, but not actually going through the method that's always been the thing even if they're made up words you're still going through the method and we didn't really have that as much. We had a theory, uh, but it wasn't really it wasn't really scienced out. Now, I, I think you could still argue that because we have came up with a theory and we've kind of tried to bring it to these particular spots, you you could maybe give it like a quarter or something like that. But it, it's all very it felt very surface level. Um, the engineering, I mean, there, there really isn't isn't anything engineering-wise going on. We're, we're not dealing with engineering problems. Everything is fairly smooth sailing from, from that standpoint, so I, I don't really necessarily see that. Now, from, from a command standpoint, so I think that I think that what I am seeing, and it's kind of a problem in a way, but what I am seeing is I'm seeing Saru doing captain stuff from the background, and I'm seeing Michael fulfilling the Bruce Willis role. So it's just it's just last action hero with her, at least in this episode. Because last last week I said yeah, I mean there was some command there. In this one, it all fell back to, to Saru doing a lot of the, um, yeah, well, how about we put Tilly here? Uh, yeah, I'm going to sit down and talk with Colbert and have a moment with him and uh, tell him how he's doing a good job with Adira. I, I'm going to, you know, freak out when Tilly tries to touch my pod. Don't touch the pod. You know, but he, he's That's still... is. is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, but he he's he seems to be they seem to be focusing on him a lot uh putting forward um a lot of mentorship and and a lot of leadership so i i can certainly see see the delta in his regard and as far as with michael i, I think the only thing that i could say for her in this episode is she did in a very quick unexplained way work through a situation where her mother is effectively hostage you know gives a little sort of like nonverbal nod to Tilly and I'm assuming I'm going on in the assumption here to like hey don't make the repairs that fast so that I can work out this so there, there's a little bit in there with her um, but again she, her storyline was driving so hard to the conclusion of the Kuat Malat thing, and that's that was her purpose in the episode. It wasn't really to make the command, so I could give it there. And then you know the the admiral Admiral Vance, um, 
I, I think his his handling of Burnham, uh, making her see the bigger picture, is definitely leadership from his his standpoint. And and I mean, the president is still a BA in my opinion. So I I got to give it to her because she's making wider, larger decisions for the entirety of the Federation. And um, you know, but but still putting Michael Burnham in scenarios to give her wins as well and acknowledging that she has trust in Burnham, despite the fact that in the very last episode, she was like, yeah, but you're not like going to go on my cool, cool experimental ships. You just keep doing what you're doing. But I trust you. You gotcha. can keep your 900 old, 900 year old ship. You're not getting <laughs> one of the cool new shiny ones. Yeah. All right. Very cool. So, for me, um, like all the leadership stuff is is mainly is coming from three characters, like consistently, the president, the admiral, and Saru, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, those three have been consistent, just in these first three episodes. So for me, like if if the command delta is going to be showing up at all, it's going to be because of those three. Science, it's like, like, like you said, David, it's just very, very surface level, and there's not really much that's built upon it. Um, like, the thing that we were, were finding out, like, in Stamets's lab, like the spore lab, whatever, is the same thing that is being talked about in the, on the Jedi, the, on the Navarre Science Institute precipice. And, um, and, and that's it. So, I mean, Look, the deltas that we have in Discovery, right? They all have ranks on them. So, if anything, this is like a cadet smattering of science. <laughs> More than anything, um, it's there. It's like, good job, you did the homework. You know that there's something there in, on paper. Cool. But there, yeah, there's like, there's like no techno babble. There's no any of that engineering or much in the way of operations stuff that's taken place like for for like the gold the gold folks so um, I mean that, that's it that that's all I got so I mean I think we're all we're all on the same page I don't want to like beat a dead horse uh, like we've done a lot in this episode um, <laughs> um, let's go let's move on to our numerical rating one, um, one being dumpster fire 10 being absolutely amazing we're going to go in reverse order, so I'm going to start with David on your numerical rating. This is actually one of the harder ones for me to rate, um, only because, as we've pointed out almost ad nauseum now, that there are at least probably two very good episodes, and I think even three potential really good episodes that could have been done out of this one. And it would have been far more impactful, character empowering, story uh, empowering, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't want to kill it because I, I, I feel what they're doing. Like I, I, I feel it, but we got to get away from some of this cringe factor too. We, we got, we got to start growing up a little bit. I think. Um, so I'm also not going to push it too high either because we, we, we need to do a little grow up in discovery. And I, and I'm starting to see that a little, little, little pieces, pieces. Um, but you know, 
this was such a beat a dead horse uh, just on, on on all these various things so I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that i'm just stalling until i can make an official decision um man <laughs> i i'm gonna say that this was a this wound up being a somewhat average episode because they tried to throw too much at it it's not terrible it definitely provided probably some of the more interesting conversation that I've had in a while for Discovery, so I, I can appreciate it for that. Um, I'm going to go 7.25. Very specific. I love it. Okay, what did I, what did I give last week's episode? I believe it was a 7. Okay. So, I said... The first episode I absolutely hated because it was all over the place and it was too much too soon and I didn't like it at all. I said last week's episode I was happy with. I was happy with last week's episode, which is something I don't always say um, when I'm watching Star Trek Discovery. Right. And I, I did not hate this episode. My, my reaction when I finished watching this episode was frustration. It wasn't. It wasn't hate. It wasn't dislike. It wasn't joy. It wasn't any of those things. It was just frustration, because there there are at least two really good episodes in this material here. Like you know, you've heard the phrase, "The whole is greater than the sum of the parts." Well, this is an example of the whole being less than the sum of the parts. Because each of the pieces in themselves is good, I think, right? The, the main storyline with, you know, saving this alien species is a good idea that we could have science the hell out of, right? Science and engineering, get Data and Geordi on that problem, and we will science Let's the go. hell out of it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> bring, Reg Bar- bring Reg Barkley along, too, and we will science the hell out of that thing, Right? Like, right. You, you know, you know, and the the, the there's the two storylines about like the personal relationships, the personal like the Gray and Adira mm-hmm. and the the Burno the book thing, which both I think I don't know if either of those is strong enough to be the A line of an episode, but they could both be really solid B lines, I think. And maybe the book thing could be. An, an A plot line because he's more of a main character and you could have that full book episode where he's, you know, he's struggling, he's struggling, you know, he comes to some realization and then he he helps us save the day at the end of it and it could be a, a solid book episode. Ah, it's, but it's just frustrating how fast it, it was like, we're now, we're two episodes after his home planet was destroyed and I think next episode he's gonna be perfectly fine, which is just mind-boggling Probably. to me. Which is mind-boggling. So I'm just I'm so frustrated because, man, there just could have been some good stuff in here. And so it's like it's very difficult to rate, like David said. And I think I'm stalling for time here too. I don't want to <laughs> go any higher than last week's episode, but I don't want to go really any. Or I'll, I'll give it a seven, like just like I did last week's episode, because there's good stuff in here. It's just, it's just not put together well. Okay. 
So, like I alluded to in the beginning, or near the beginning of this, I just, I got bored, like, pretty quickly with this. Like, I would, like, pop up and, like, watch, and I'm like, yeah, cool, yeah, all right, yeah, hmm. And like that was like just like my my experience watching the episode this go around. Um, like there were parts of it that I I really mostly enjoyed, and the rest of it I was like, cool. We got we got another episode of Discovery. Cool. I got to talk about this. Cool. So I the, the, just the. To me, the pacing was really slow, and it was just, uh, it was difficult to keep my attention and to, like, just really stay connected with this particular episode. This is one that's probably going to go in my tool belt for whenever I'm sick and I need something to put on, kind of like the motion picture to, like, help me go to sleep. This is probably going to be one of those. Um... So I'm not, it's not going to be like the lowest rated one, like another one, which I will not mention, but it's not going to get a particularly high rating either. Um, so for me, I'm kind of sitting at like a, like a six, four on this. I just, I wasn't too crazy about it. Like, I mean, like we've all said, there's, there's good stuff in there. And then there's like a lot of good stuff going on. Like there's a lot of stories that are happening that like could have been split up into at least two or three other discovery episodes. I feel like this episode in particular, the writers are like, all right, all right, team, what do we got to do? Okay. We need something with a deer and gray. All right, cool. Yeah. We got, we got to take care of that. All right, um, Book and Stamets are kind of having like some kind of bromance thing going on. All right, let's let's do something with that. Cool. Uh, what haven't we done in a while that the audience might enjoy? Warrior nuns, co-op my lot. Let's do it. Let's bring them back. Let's go, baby. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. And um, what's the guy doing the counselor thing? Oh, Colbert. Yeah, let's have him do some work with mac and cheese because I'm really hungry right now and I really want that in the script. Yeah, let's do that. That that's the story. All right, guys, gals, whiteboard. Let's 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 do this. Let's storyboard the heck out of it right now. We got to make sure we have mac and cheese, some warrior nuns. And let's were, just let's were, have a go at and it. They were having this meeting at 11:30 at night, weren't they? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, so that's that's that for me. So six point four for this episode. Um, anyway, all right. Well, before we get out of here, uh, by the way, I'll thank you for your for your thoughts and opinions on that. But before we get out of here, we have to address something very very important, and that is a Twitter poll. So this week on the Twitter poll, the question went out. If a Star Trek captain and first officer could switch roles permanently, which duo would do the most good and accomplish the most? 
the choices were T'Pol and Archer, Saru and Burnham, Chakotay Janeway, Riker Picard. So a captain and first officer switching roles permanently, which of them would do the most good and accomplish the most? T'Pol and Archer, Saru Burnham, Chakotay Janeway, or Riker Picard? Eric, who would you vote for? Could you imagine Jonathan Archer taking orders from T'Pol? Oh my goodness. Like, never. (laughs) That would be like... Are you out of your Vulcan mind? That would be a toxic work environment. (laughs) Wow. Um, (laughs) I mean, the obvious answer is is Picard and Riker. Because I feel like they're both... Like, Riker was a captain. Let's be honest. Like, the, the dude turned down how many promotions before he took one 15 years as the first officer he could run that ship he, he could easily run that ship like so I mean the obvious answer is if this is not like 80% number one I will be shocked alright well we'll find out in a moment won't we <laughs> how about you David well T'Pol was not ready for, for command that was fairly well established throughout the series. Uh, Archer clearly was the person for that. Um, so you said Saru Burnham, Riker Picard, what was the fourth one? Oh, so Chakotay and Janeway. Yeah, Chakotay and Janeway. Janeway, no, I mean, Janeway, for some of the flaws that I, I saw in the series, I mean, that was clearly the right dynamic there as well. Riker Picard, though, um, as we are exploring in the Coda book series, one of my biggest gripes is is that Riker is an admiral and Picard is still a captain, which makes zero sense to me. What's it makes no sense. I don't like it. It's actually one of it's very small, but it, it really occupies a large space in my mind when I'm reading those books. So while that dynamic probably would have worked, I would rather have Picard as a captain over Riker personally. So my choice would have been Saru and Burnham because Saru has clearly at this point right now where we're where we're sitting right now sure. not season 3 but where we're sitting now because it seems like Saru is finally being written ready <laughs> you know he he's not he doesn't have the hang-ups he really seems to be fitting in a lot more and Absolutely. and Burnham is still finding finding herself so if you were to switch him right now episode three i think that that would be better overall but again there's always a weird dynamic when you when you think about that though i i don't necessarily know if that would work with burnham being his first officer again but yeah all right well let's let's go to the results with 12 and a half percent of the vote coming in fourth place we have to paul and archer which I think was probably going to be pretty obvious. Coming in in third place, 18.8% of the vote was Riker and Picard. What? I know, Eric. Upset right there. I'm shocked. This is my shock face. (laughs) That's a great face for for podcasting, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Clip, Clip it for the thumbnail. (laughs) <laughs> oh, wait, there's no thumbnail. <laughs> All right, here we go. Second place, 
with 31.3% of the vote. Saru and Burnham. Which means in first place with 37.5% of the vote is Chakotay and Janeway. I was very shocked by this poll, actually. Wow. 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 Like, haven't you ever heard it's my way or the Janeway, right? It's the wrong way and the Janeway. You're like, Janeway the tyrant. <laughs> yeah. Like, Janeway can't take orders from anyone. I mean, I mean, I think, it is what I it think is. there was a time when she could have been an effective first officer, right, before she became captain. But once she became captain, there's no, there's no getting her in any other role. She, sure. she changed, man. Yeah. She's she such a good first officer. She's changed. That big, that big chair. It's deep, <laughs> and it changes Does something you. to you. <laughs> Well, enough of that. Enough of that. We'll do another poll here in the near future. By the way, if you, anyone missed it, Oblivion's Gate, the final book in the Star Trek Coda series, is out. It just recently came out, so make sure you pick up your copy, that you read it, you listen to it, uh, prepare for it, for when David and I eventually discuss this this uh, book here towards um, the end of the month. So, um, anyway, um, gents, as always, thank you so much for, for joining me uh, as a, with this these discussions and talking about um, Star Trek Discovery. Thank you to everyone in Listenerland for having our voices in your ears as we ramble on about this show stuff. Apparently, so anyway, uh, what you what did you think of the episode? Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, How did you rate it as you, as per the usual? What did you think of of the different storylines? You know, with um, Adira and Gray, with Tilly and Culber, and the co-op Malat kind of returning to Discovery. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions about that. Um, you can, um, you know, interact with us uh, and send in your opinions at trtvpod.com. Um, leave a comment there. You can also send us an email directly, trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. There's a three-minute limit before the DMA comes after you, so make it quick. Otherwise, things are going to get weird. Um, don't cross the streams, all right? Just don't cross the streams. Uh, finally, if you do want to mail us something like, I don't know, a cool shiny sword or some random swamp monster plant thing, that's cool. Make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas 76098. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. As we leave here today, may you always remember to boldly go and make it so. Bye.